I'm supposed to be a tenor. I mean, I think I'm supposed to be. Nobody's ever asked me to sing, but I think that I'm a tenor. But when we sing that song, I'm bass. <laughs> I love trying to sing that. I can't get near low enough, but I do love that song, uh, and I love trying to sing that bass line. Okay, so now let's, let's be honest with each other. We're in a church building. We have to be honest. We can't lie. We have to tell the truth. So here we go. How many of you started reading the Bible this last week? Do we have a few people? Okay. So a few of you started. This is a new year. A lot of you have several uh, New Year's revolu- resolutions. You're going to be on time. You're going to lose weight. You're going to read the Bible. I, hopefully some of you have made at least one of those. The latter of the three is what I'm shooting for. Okay. How many of you, as you began reading through the Bible, started in Genesis? Any of you who started reading? Okay, so... Let's talk about Genesis for a minute, can we? Because I, last week I, I charged you with reading the Bible through this year. Now, I, I, I gave you the option to say you can read it any way you want. You can read part of the Old Testament and then Psalms are part of the Old Testament. And then, and then the New Testament, you can do it in chronological order. Or you can do it in canonical order. That's starting Genesis. Any way you want to do it. But, but I encourage you to read the Bible. And if you haven't started, shame on you. Repent and start reading the Bible. It is the Word of God, it is love letter that He's given to us, and if we love God, we want to know more about what He says and who He is, and so the Bible is a perfect way in which we can do that. So I started off in Genesis, uh, and I was reading through that, and I want to talk about some of the things that that actually take place as we begin Genesis, and I, I want to remind you how difficult it is to read Genesis. Now, I'm not saying there's like really big words or really deep thoughts, but there's some really crazy, crazy things that happen in Genesis. And it begins with this, in the beginning, God. Okay, so this is this this presupposition that everybody already believes that there is a God. And that right now... Uh, is a, an issue with a lot of people today. Like, oh, there is no God. So the Bible starts out with there's God. Before there was anything, there was God. And God created the world. He made something out of nothing. And he did this by simply speaking. And he would do these things, and after he created these things, he would say, these things are good. He made Something out of nothing. It's hardly believable, isn't it? Somebody once said that evolution is difficult. It's hard to believe. They said, imagine things would have to work so intricately well that you could take um, a, a fine Swiss watch and you could tear it into its little pieces and you could put it in a box, right? There's about a hundred different pieces and they all have to be put in very meticulously in order for this work. Well, the, the chance of evolution working, uh, of the world being created by evolution, would be putting those pieces into the box, closing it up, shaking it, and opening it up. And the, 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 the clock, the watch, not only is put together, but it's been wound up and it's running perfectly. And I agree with that to some degree, except for two things. One, evolution, there's nothing in the box. And two, there's no one to shake it. (laughs) So we have some issues. But you talk about creation, it's hardly believable. God just says these things and they happen. 
Well, that's just in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It gets better. No, it, it doesn't get any more believable. Adam's hanging out in the garden. And what is he doing? He's naming the animals. That's what Adam's doing. How does he have a language? Who told him? Who's writing this stuff down? He named the animals. How does he pass that information on to other people? It's crazy. It's almost unbelievable. Then we have Eve that comes from Adam's side. God puts him to sleep, pulls out a part of his side. We, we refer to it as the rib. And from Adam, Eve is made. Well, then things go on. God walks in the garden. And he talks with Adam and Eve. Sounds like it's unbelievable. But it gets better. We have a talking snake who convinces the woman to eat the fruit. And her eyes are open. She shares it with her husband. His eyes are open. They're banished from the garden. There's angels set in front of the garden to keep them from getting back in the garden. Because if they get back into the garden, then they eat the, the tree of life. And they can't eat from the tree of life. And so there's the angels there to protect people from coming back in. It sounds a little bit unbelievable. Then there's the story of Cain and Abel. And you can figure this out. There's Adam and there's Eve. And they have children, right? They have Cain and Abel, right? Well, um, Cain and Abel don't really get along well. Abel makes a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord Cain makes a sacrifice that is not pleasing to the Lord, and we don't know exactly why, but we can just guess that he didn't give his very best. One preacher once said that the whole issue with Cain not giving is because he didn't trust God. That God would provide and give him more, so he wanted to save the best for himself just in case, and Abel didn't. And Cain killed Abel. Which is a side note. I don't know if anybody of you knows this. This was really evident to me when I came here about five years ago. What's the name of this congregation? Taylor Street. Where's Taylor Street? Yes, it's over there. When we have stuff dropped off at the building, we list our physical address as what? Cane Street. Nobody is going to name their church Cane Street, are they? I mean, what's our slogan like? You know, we kill people, right? Like, there's nothing good about what Cain did. But the story itself seems unbelievable. Because Cain goes to God and God says, you're in trouble for what you did. Your, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to banish you. And Cain says, you can't do that because I'm going to go out and people are going to kill me. And God says, I'm going to put a mark on you so people know not to mess with you. And my, my question is this. What people are we talking about? There's Adam and there's Eve. And then they had Cain and Abel. And Cain took care of Abel. So who is Cain really worried about? Somebody not knowing who he is. It's kind of an unbelievable story. And Cain is going to get married. Who's he going to marry? This doesn't seem to make sense. I don't really know what to do with this. You're reading Genesis. You should be reading Genesis. In fact, in a couple days you should be in Exodus. But right now, read Genesis. And don't read it 
thinking of the little flannel graph growing up, read it and think, what's going on here? And it doesn't get any easier. After we have Cain and Abel, we have this unusual comment about the sons of God and the daughters of men. And then we have the Nephilim who are are called heroes of old. What do we really know about them? And then there's Noah. Now it starts to get believable, right? Here's what's the most unbelievable part about Noah. It's not the fact that he built a really big boat and there's a whole zoo of animals that go in there. It's the fact that he had children at what? 500 years old. That's what Genesis says. Genesis 5.32. And at 500 years old, Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay? That's a... That is a nightmare, folks. I've looked around at some of you grandparents who have your kids for the weekend, your grandkids for the weekend. And the the look in your eyes said, I'm too old for this. I have to send them back to their parents. I want to spoil them and send them away. At 500 years old, Noah has three boys. After that, God comes to him and says, I'm going to destroy the world. And by the time Noah turns 600, he has built a boat that is 450 feet long. It's 75 feet wide. It's 45 feet tall. And he is going to fill it with animals. Lots and lots and lots of animals. And he's got to feed those animals. And some of those animals he's going to use to feed himself and feed the other animals. I mean, we're talking about an entire ecological system all on a floating boat that was made by man over the course of a hundred years using nothing more than a hammer and some nails or possibly some glue that he made himself. It's an unbelievable story. The story of Noah covers several chapters until we get to Genesis chapter 11, and then we have the story of the Tower of Babel, where these men uh, go out about building things. And I want to read the uh, exact uh, verse. This is from Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. They decide that they are going to build a tower, and this is what God has to say. But the Lord came down, verse 5, to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That was God's commentary on what they were doing. If they work together, not only can they build a tower... They can do anything they want to do. And God's response seemingly is, I don't want them to do anything that they want to do. And so he confuses their language. They can't communicate well. And they decide that they're going to split up and go their way with a people that they can understand. The Tower of Babel. And then we have chapter 12. We're introduced to Abram. Uh, He leaves Ur because God called him to. Uh, He goes from Ur to Canaan. While he's in Canaan, God says, see this land, I'm going to give this to your descendants. So he's in Canaan, and then 
there's a famine in the land. He leaves out to Egypt. And while he goes through Egypt, he's with his wife Sarah. At the time, Abraham, Abram, excuse me, is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. They're cruising into town. They hit the city limits. And he turns to his wife and says, Hey, honey, you're a good-looking gal. And if somebody realizes that we're married, they're going to get rid of me so that they can have you for their wife. So tell everybody that you're my sister. They roll into the town. They see this 65-year-old woman. They say, man, she is good looking. And they take her into the palace. But bad things happen in the palace when the 65-year-old beauty queen is roaming around. And we don't know how this happens, but somehow the ruler realizes that Sarah is bad news for them, and somehow she figures out that Abram has lied. And he goes to Abram and says, why did you lie to me? Take your wife and leave here. Genesis chapter 12. How unbelievably awkward is that story? That's one of those stories you just want to leave out, right? Okay, I've just shared with you the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And if you think it's going to get less awkward or more believable, you're completely wrong. Because it's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. There's going to be all these different stories that we look at and go, Oh, really? I don't know about that. And we have lots of people who love the Lord and look at the Bible and they say, you know what, that is too hard. I just don't believe that. It just doesn't happen that way. I spent the last several years uh, while studying uh, in Abilene, listening to some professors and to some students who said, this is not really what happened. It didn't happen this way. It's just a good story. There wasn't really a universal flood that killed everybody. It's just, it's a nice story. Maybe there was a localized flood, but but it didn't really happen that way because it couldn't have happened that way. He could not have built a 450 foot boat that would float, that would carry those animals. There's no way one person could do it, not if they had 100 years. It's a story about how People do bad things and God doesn't leave them. That's really what Noah is about. Creation didn't happen that way. It couldn't have happened that way. And so they morphed this idea of, well, it's part evolution and it's part creation. And and God created the world, but he didn't create it as much as he evolved it. Because he couldn't have really said, this is, you know, uh, let there be light. And it was so. He had to let it happen over a long period of time because it, it just couldn't have happened that way. And every story as they go through, they say, oh, this, this really didn't happen. Now at this point, currently, they're still teaching that, well, the resurrection did happen. I mean, it's not believable, but, but we're still going to say that. But all these other stories, they're just stories. They didn't really happen. And it's not, not important. It's not important that there never was a prophet named Jonah who was swallowed by a big fish. The important part is, is that God loves all people, and that's what the story is really about. He 
Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, and it is certain of what we cannot see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and it's certain of the things that we can't see and the things that we can't prove, and the things that seem believable, and the things that seem to contradict science. Because science says there's no way that it could happen like this. And faith says, but God can do things you just have to trust. Did it really happen? The writer of Hebrews says this, by faith. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It didn't say by science we believe that it happened. It didn't say by logic we believe that it happened. We have no proof of it. There's nothing that we could pick up and say, see, here it is. It is by faith and trusting in God that he said, let there be light. And what? There was light. It's unbelievable. And I don't think it's an accident that God allowed it to happen in such an unbelievable way. He didn't want to do it in a predictable way or a logical way. He doesn't want you to come to faith in Him by faculties that says, well, this happens here and this happens here. Well, logically this could happen. No! Then it's your own intellect. He says, I want you to believe that I am God and I can do things that are flat out unbelievable. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Abel said, I'm going to give my very best because I'm not afraid that if I lose it, that all of a sudden I don't have security anymore. I'm not afraid because I know that God has me in His hands. I'm not afraid to talk to someone about Jesus because I believe that God takes care of me. I'm not afraid to give back to God because I know that God takes care of me. That I'm not counting on retirement or Roths, or 401Ks. I'm not counting on insurance. I'm not counting on jobs. I'm not counting on pensions. I'm not counting on, you know, how well I have, or how much my house is paid off, or how great my car is, or my investment planning. That I trust in the Lord. By faith, Abel gave. Jumping down to verse 7, this is the unbelievable one. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. When he looked at that first tree, he was about to fail. 
before he swung that axe, he said, I trust in God. And then he started swinging. I wouldn't call myself a woodworker, but I I sure do like to mess with that stuff. I consider myself a good woodworker because I have all ten fingers. But beyond that, I love the whirring of a table saw. I love to listen to that blade fire up. And just take off 3,450 RPM. That thing is smoking. And you put in, you have a good blade on that, and you put a piece of wood through there, and it just, it's like butter. And it'll just make this beautiful edge on it. And you can craft those pieces. You know, and you get a router. Get a router, people. And see, you can take a piece of wood and just put an edge on it and it just completely transforms that piece. You plug that thing in. Now they have cordless tools. Get a cordless router. Okay? See those things? Smell the sawdust. You need to wear something to protect you. Trust me on this one. It doesn't taste as good as it smells. That's for sure. I love that. It's just there's something beautiful about making something, about creating something and stepping back and saying, you know what, I did that. There was no plug for Noah. Every tool that he has was cordless. He had an axe, maybe a primitive saw of some kind. He didn't go down to the hardware store and purchase a bunch of pre-cut lumber. He cut down the trees. However he was able to fasten it, he had to create the materials. He had to make the materials. If he used nails, he had to make the nails. He was telling his neighbors, I'm, I'm building a boat. They said, what's a boat? He said, it's a large, thing, a large thing that floats on the water so when it rains. And their next question was what? What's rain? And he's telling them all of this. How many splinters did the 500-year-old Noah get? How many times did his back ache and his hands were calloused and they hurt to move? And he would get up in the morning and he would go find another tree and he would cut it down and he began preparing it to build a 450 foot boat. And he did it. Not because it was logical. Not because it was believable. He did it because he had faith in God. Verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham went to go to a place where he would later receive it as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I would love to continue reading on through Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, over and over again, by faith Abraham, by faith Abraham. Then he goes on, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph. In fact, the writer goes on to say, I'm running out of time. But we could talk about other people. We could talk about the faith of Rahab. We could talk about the faith of David on and on again. That it was their faith. It wasn't their talents. It wasn't their intellect. It wasn't their 
their bankroll, it was simply by faith. They trusted God. Well, we're not called to build boats. What does faith look like today? Well, let me share a little side story with you for a minute. We're going to step away from Hebrews chapter 11. This last week, I had an opportunity for a couple days, Thursday and Friday, uh, Jennifer and I and, and our family joined up with, with the Blackmans, uh, Robin uh, and Brett and their, ch- uh, their kids, and then Lynn and Freed as well, and we, we ran up to a, a mountain. Now, if you don't live in the state, it's called Riadosa. If you live in the state, it's called Riadoso. If you live in the town, it's called Ruidoso. Is that right? Did I get that right? If you live in Ruidoso, Ruidosa, that's what it's called. Everybody else has got it wrong. But we went up that direction. We decided we were going to go up there for a quick trip, did some zip lining on Thursday, and then Friday the plan was we are going to get up, we were going to go up the mountain, so when we got to the top of the mountain, we could fall down the mountain and then get on a lift and repeat. Okay, do that over and over again. So we go to the, the rental shop. At, I, the sun was not up, was it? It was, it was way too early. It was like 6 in the morning. We were up getting fitted for, for skis and stuff. But it was snowing, which is a good thing. Because it, Rui Dosa, Doso, needed snow. The mountain needed some snow. So we were, we were really excited about the fact that there was going to be white stuff on the ground and there were fewer tree stumps that were going to be poking out, right? So we're really excited about that. We're, we're about to go up the mountain, but we realize that the snow, which is great for skiing, is not good for driving. And we, we thought, well, we, we may be in a little bit of trouble because we don't have a four-wheel drive vehicle. So... We thought about this, and we're talking to the guy who's renting us this equipment. And he goes, yeah, you, you probably need to get some chains. So we leave the ski shop after we get our stuff. We go and we get chains, right? And by the way, just getting to the rental place, it was a little slick. I call it fun, um, but some people call it slick. So we go, we get the chains on, and so now we all pile into one car. We're in Brett's vehicle. And we start heading up the mountain. It is 12 miles up the mountain on this road that twists and turn. There is white everywhere. There is snow coming down. And Brett, who's driving, is doing this the whole time. Because there's one spot in the windshield that's clear, that does, isn't covered in ice. Right? And so we're kind of working our way up there. And we're being very cautious. The guy who put the chains on said, ah, you shouldn't go over about 25 miles an hour. You know, it's not good for the chains. You know, go slow, take your time. So we're going up there, and I'm smiling, and my wife, bless her heart, she's freaking out. She's like, you know, we're going to die on the mountain. She's not saying this out loud, but we're thinking about this. But here's, here's what happened. My wife was just in fear. I was concerned. She was in fear, and we we're all a little worried about going up the mountain. We put the chains on, and you would not believe the change in mentality that we had when we put the chains on. Like, we thought we were the coolest people in town. Like, all of a sudden, that mountain's like, that, that mountain has nothing on us. And we started heading up that mountain. And all of a sudden, we weren't near as afraid. In fact, we kind of made jokes like, we're okay, we've got the chains. And we're heading up the mountain. We're cruising along. 
and, and things are going good. We're doing about 20, 25 miles an hour. We're heading up the mountain. We feel really good. We're not nervous. We're not scared. We know we're going to make it. You want to know why? Because we got chains. And so we make it all the way up to the mountain. And we feel good. And the whole time we're saying, we're, we're so glad we had the chains on there. We passed a, a truck that didn't have chains. You know why we passed them? Because they were on the side of the road and they started sliding down. Thankfully, they had stopped before they went whoop all the way over. And we're like, you know, passed them by. You know, can we help you? They're like, you know, can you, you have a chain to pull us out? Nope. But we got chains on our tires. So we keep going up the mountain. And we get there and we know we're there. We trusted that the chains could get us places that the chains, without chains, we couldn't get there. Okay, I'm, I apologize. I'm a city slicker who lived in Texas. We never saw snow, so I didn't deal with this. But for the first time, I got to, you know, be in a car with chains on it. And it was really cool. We thought we could do anything. We get up the mountain. We park the car. We're getting out in the parking lot. And the craziest thing happens. There's a lady who comes up uh, to the back of the car while we're unloading the stuff. And she says, hey... Were you, were you the lead car? Were you the one who was like leading us up the front? And, you know, Brett is just the humblest, nicest guy. He says, yes, ma'am. And she said, I want you to know that you driving that slow was dangerous. Do you understand how many people you risk because you weren't driving faster going up the mountain? You should have been going a whole lot faster. She said, we could have had to go slow, and if, if we had to stop, we couldn't have started again. Thankfully, I was in the front of the car. Because I don't think I would have been as kind. Because that's my friend Brett that she's talking to. And she's completely illogical. And her whole point was, the people behind you didn't have chains. And so we had to keep going. We, We couldn't stop. Well, we never stopped anyway. And my whole point was this. Okay, wait, lady. Get. Let me just ask you this. You pass the sign on the side of the road that says, you need chains to go up here. Chains only. She willingly passed the sign with no chains, and she gets to the top so she can gripe at the guy who had chains and said that he was the guy being unsafe. People who don't trust in God. They got a real problem. And it makes them, they're offended by the fact that we tell a story of redemption and a God who creates. And they don't like that. Because they don't want that. And so when they see other people who put their faith in a God that they can't see, it makes them upset. This is unsafe for us. You can't go into our schools and talk about a God. It's not safe. It's not right. They could start believing in that God too. The story of Genesis is unbelievable. And it's crazy. And it's what God has called us to believe. It's by faith that we believe that there's a God who made the world. Believe in God like you believe in those chains. And when other people say you're silly or you're crazy or you're, you're going to hurt other people, just trust 
in God. I skipped one verse and I wanted to tell that to you right now. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God. You want to please God? Then you need to have faith. I have faith that 2017 is going to be a year in which God is revealed. I believe it. And it may not be on a big, grand scale, but I believe that He's going to be faithful. And maybe He says, today and for the next hundred years, you're going to start building something that people won't believe in. You swing the hammer. And you listen to people who call you crazy, and you say, I still have faith in God. We are meeting this morning because we have faith in God even when other people don't. 2017, let's just trust God. And if it is the worst year physically, financially, socially, relationally for you, that doesn't mean that God's not right beside you. We have faith that He is always with us. Doesn't that make you feel great? No matter what happens, God is with us. If you want to continue to grow in your faith, we encourage you to commit to the Lord. If you haven't committed to Him, we want to call you to put Him on in baptism. Join our family as we seek to serve Him and show this world that there's a good reason to have faith in a God in 2017. Let's do that as we stand and sing.